The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Well, if you'd open up your copy of God's Word, if you have it with you this morning, to Genesis chapter 2. I'm actually going to read a verse at the end of chapter 2 before I move to the text for this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then skipping down to verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You'll notice from the uh, uh, slide that this is uh, shame part five. So this is the fifth sermon that I've preached in the context of trying to understand shame. And this particular message is entitled Outcast Shame One. And because this afternoon I'm going to complete it. So at some point in the middle of this, I think I have a good stopping point. I'm going to stop and we're going to pick it up this afternoon in our afternoon service. I am and have been very interested in the description of humanness, what it meant to be human prior to the fall. And at the end of chapter 2, we see this summary statement, and the, and the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. And that is really a statement that summarizes what it meant to be mankind or human at that particular point. And then we see the fall, we see the disobedience, the, the rebellion against God by Adam and Eve, and then we have a new summary statement. And the summary statement isn't quite as clear as the original statement because it talks more about the outworking or the effects of that statement. In verse 7 it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And in that new knowledge, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And that discrepancy between the first verse and the, the last verse and the description of what it means to be human is so profound that I think we often don't... It's so profound we struggle to even grapple with a part of it. When I was in school, I'd say elementary school, so probably in the 70s, 
uh, we had health class, and in in would come somebody that worked with a dentist, probably a dentist, hygienist or somebody, and they would uh, talk about uh, mouth, I don't know, teeth cleaning and and good dental hygiene, and it was becoming a thing. I'm not sure if it wasn't a thing till then, but it was a big part of our schooling. And they would they would uh, talk all about clean teeth, and I think most of us felt like we had pretty clean teeth. And then they'd give us this little cup of red solution. And we were to put this in our mouth and swish it around. And I don't know if we swallowed or spit it out or whatever we did with it. But then we were to behold what our teeth looked like. And the red solution clung to all the nastiness in our teeth, all the plaque and all the, the dirt in our teeth. And you'd smile, and it was shocking because almost your entire teeth uh, was red as this solution clung to them. And you're like, oh, my word. I thought my teeth were clean, but this proves to me that they're not. And it, it is kind of shocking. And then they go through dental hygiene and stuff, and they'd give you a free toothbrush, and you'd go brush your teeth. And then you'd come back, and, and you do it again, and, oh, behold, your teeth are much cleaner, but yet there's still some red in the crevices and things. And it was all to motivate us to brush our teeth. I wish we had something like that so we could begin to understand shame. And I could put it in you and swish you around, and that we could we could look and say, oh, my word, it is it permeates every fiber of my being. It, it really permeates what it means to be human. And I really am struggling to comprehend what this thing is. And as I sit in my office, work with people in various struggles and difficulties of life and the things they're going through, I have had a growing understanding of shame, and it's become more helpful for me to care for people. And so part of my study was to understand shame better, and so you're the recipient of some of that work, but it's tremendously profitable if we can begin to understand what it meant when the humanness was described, they realized they were naked, and they started covering themselves. And so we're going to work through that today. The last time I preached, I dealt with the first category of shame. And I get this from Ed Welch and some of his writings on shame. The first category of shame is a naked shame. This is a fear of being exposed, uncovered. We're vulnerable. We, we get embarrassed. We, uh, we have anxiety about how people view us. And we're afraid to be exposed and having our unrighteousness or our failure or faults or those things that, that uh, would really we'd really be fearful for people to know about us. It's a naked shame. And in light of that, how the gospel of Jesus Christ shows us that while Christ came and died and suffered for us, there's it's so much pro more profound than that because he hung naked on the cross. He actually was exposed. Why? So that we could be covered in his righteous robe. We could be cleansed. We could now be in relationship with God, the Father, who is a perfect judge and knows perfectly, but He would view us through the righteousness of Christ. And we'd be covered. We'd never need to fear this, feel this naked shame before our Father ever again. And in turn, hopefully it takes away some of that naked shame we have with one another. And we could actually learn to give ourselves without fear of exposure. Okay, this week our topic is the second larger category of shame, which Ed Welch and I think is a good category, 
calls outcast shame. Outcast shame. While naked shame is a fear of being exposed, outcast shame is the fear of being rejected, of not measuring up, not being approved of, not being included. Outcast shame is the fear of being cast out, being in exile, being rejected. And so my desire this morning is that I will go through and we'll explain the concept of this outcast shame, how we see it in Scripture working out here, um, and then through just a series of kind of examples help you to try, try to flush you with some of that red dye so that you feel like, oh, maybe this has a greater impact on my life than I actually realized. And that we would look to Christ in the gospel for hope and help, knowing that he is the one that brings us in and unites us, reconciles us back to the Father, never to be outcast ever again. And so the gospel is our solution to this feeling or this being overwhelmed by outcast shame. So I want to do this really in, in kind of a chronological categories. First of all, just another glimpse at the garden and creation, what this kind of looked like in the garden. Uh, then a, a glimpse of uh, what it looks like now after the fall and our kind of our experience of that. And then uh, a fuller understanding of what we have been given in redemption through Christ. And some of that will be this morning. The bulk of that's going to be this afternoon. So uh, I did not want to leave you without uh, hearing the hope we have in Christ, so we will get some of that this morning. So first, outcast shame related to creation. Now if we think I preached a whole message on creation and the, that it was a perfect, pure, peaceful place, that everything was in order, everything was structured. If we think about creation in relation to uh, being included or relationship we would say that it was perfectly inclusive, that there was no hint of, there was no possibility of separation between God and between man. There was no separation at all between the humans that were there. There had never been anything to cause anybody to glance away from the other person or to, to have a sense that they should cover themselves or recoil. There was a pure love that was given between the humans that were there and between God and uh, his creation. Everything was perfectly uh, relationally accepted by God. There was no sense that anything could even possibly be rejected. There was no reason for that rejection. Man was created in the image of God. Uh, we were created to be in this intimate relationship with God. He was present. He had given us this beautiful gift of language so that we could build this communion with him as we interacted and had this this, this knowledge and this flow of conversation, and that is a tremendous gift in and of itself. And then we see God uh, in his creation really putting man there as a pinnacle of, of creation, saying, I've given you all of this to please you and to enjoy, to, enjoy, to, be, uh, delight, to delight you. And so we see God having this deep uh, love for his creation. Uh, man was in perfect union and had pure communion. Out of that union flowed this deep a, a communion that we can't really even comprehend, where my entire focus of my being was for your good, and to please you, and to, 
to, and so I had never actually had a regard for myself in any way that would distract me from just giving myself fully for you. Um, Adam and Eve were particularly fit for one another. And uh, while there was a difference between men and women, there was no difference in or inferiority or status or relationship to God or importance. Everything was as it should be in perfect unity. God was, by man and by one another, fully known and fully loved and rejoiced in that, found great comfort in that. Never felt isolated, never felt lonely, never felt like they could be rejected, never felt like they had to measure up, never felt like they had to perform for your approval, uh, never felt abandoned or forsaken, never uh, they were fully united and joined to their community, fully accepted and, and uh, acceptable, fully included by others and including others as well. And they had perfect union with God and with each other. And so when we think about outcast shame, which is really the context of our existence and everything that we know, we have to really just say, what would be opposite of my experience? I would never have a sense that I could ever be rejected or would ever fear that the God of the universe versus my neighbor would ever turn away from me, recoil from me, not be fully accepting and loving and pleased with me. And I had great comfort. There was great rest in that peace. But through the fall and the decision of Adam and Eve to, to, uh, to really turn away from God's goodness, uh, we see that sin entered in. And we need to think about the, how profound this is when sin entered in. Uh, we see in Genesis 3, 7, um, with the first fissure where they realized that they were different and they began to covering themselves from each other. This covering wasn't, eventually they were hiding from God, but the first covering was between each other. And we just have to think through what would cause somebody to cover themselves? What would cause you to shrink back and to cover yourself in this perfect environment? Well, it's sin. As sin entered in and unrighteousness was, was known by each of them, the thought changed from I love you and I give myself to you to what are you thinking of me? Now what do you consider me to be or who do you consider me to be? Have you seen what I've done? And the thoughts become, instead of outward focus, they, be, they roll in and they become inward focus. And now I'm very interested in protecting myself, covering myself, presenting myself back to you in a, a way that I would be acceptable to you, where you won't reject me. And we see this fundamental change in humanness at that point. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths as they wanted to cover that nakedness. Uh, they saw that they were marred by their sin, broken, different, imperfect, unrighteous, and, they, and that union between them was somewhat severed. And the communion that they once shared was now corrupt. And they wanted to try to fix it. And they tried to do that through their own works, their own efforts to cover themselves. So that's one way that we respond to outcast shame or this feeling of being rejected is to cover myself. And we're going to talk about examples of me trying to present myself to you so that you will approve of me and appreciate me and won't reject me. We cover ourselves. The second way we see in response 
is if I can't cover myself adequately, I'm going to uncover you. I'm going to show your unrighteousness. And we actually see them responding uh, as we read down in verse 11 through 13. In their response, as God asked them, he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you to eat? And the man said, of course he didn't say, yes, I did this. Or, yeah, I'm not sure why I did that. Or, yes, it take, doesn't take any ownership for it, but blame shifts, exposes. The woman whom you gave with to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. And actually, in one sentence, accuses God and accuses his wife of what he has done. And he begins to blame shift. And we see this, this primary, the second primary response we have to outcast shame is to lay the blame at someone else's feet, to accuse someone else. Instead of accusing us and, and seeing our, our faults and being okay with that because we know we're forgiven, we know we're, we're, we've been accepted by God, no, we tend to blame shift, point out and criticize. I see this all the time in arguments in my life. I don't have to go to my counseling office. I get to see this in my life. So we'll have a, a disagreement. And my default frame of mind is to cover myself. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. That's, you, you misunderstood me. I'm not that unrighteous. The whole time, the other side of my brain is thinking, look how unrighteous you are. You're unrighteous. Let me show you. Let me show you what you said. Let me show you what you did. And I'm pulling fig leaves off of my wife as fast as I can and sticking them on me. Because my fundamental default is to cover myself and to blame someone else. And we see that being played out in the garden here. This becomes part of the brokenness of our human condition. And why? Because I am afraid of being rejected. I have this permeating shame that says fundamentally in my brain, I cannot be unrighteous. What will you think of me, and how will you treat me if you see how unrighteous I am? Will you still love me? Will you accept me? And I have a fear that you won't, partly because I don't accept you very well when you're struggling, and I cover myself, and I blame you. And so we see from the very beginning, right after the fall, this brokenness. Well, this brokenness also shows up not only between Adam and Eve, but we see this between them and God. We see them, them blaming God right there. Then as the curse is issued, we see that, uh, that God um, begins to tell them of the difficulty. Uh, you have broken these blessings that I've given you, and now they're going to be removed, and, I'm, and life is going to be very difficult for you. As part of the curse of the woman, he says at the end of verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And we see there's all of a sudden a fundamental brokenness in marriage that permeates marriage. We say, why is marriage so difficult? Well, it's built in. The, it's built in. It's part of the formula. Nobody comes to marriage now without this as a component of it. And we say, why is this such a difficulty? Oh, it's because of the curse. And then we see... This, the final uh, thing that God does, and that is um, in verses 22 through 24, which we're going to talk more about tonight, but 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, a flaming sword, and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And there we have it. We have an outcast condition. We have experienced, humanity has experienced this being an outcast. We do not reside where we were created to reside. We reside in this place where we are an outcast, where we do enter into this uh, humanness as in separation of God, actually as an enemy of God. We do fear uh, being alone and being rejected. And we see that, that it comes partly because we are born outside of the garden and our lineage has lived in the context of this rejection or this being an outcast. The corruption of, of man had more impact than just the reality that we no longer had a relationship with God. Yes, we were outcasts from God, separated, but the corruption that came as part of the curse and that part of the sinful condition is much more significant to our today's uh, situation than we would realize. As the strands of corruption ran through the lineage of all that came from Adam, so did the feelings of shame. Adam and Eve felt it immediately began to cover themselves. They felt it as they were cast out. This feeling of not belonging, not being approved of, not being accepted is now a fundamental part of what it means to be human. They were rejected, and they knew the fear of rejection. They realized that they were corrupt. What turned from just being an outcast, they realized as they started birthing children that there was some corruption that happened from generation to generation. That these that there was a, a birthing of, of children that were now in rebellion to God, that their rebellion and their choice of rebellion is now permeates all of humanity. Man had become an enemy of God, a rebel. Adam had aligned himself with Satan, and Satan had in that moment become Adam's father. In this one act of disobedience, sin entered the world. Not just the possibility of sin, but a corruption that would be part of every offspring of Adam. Every child born from that time forward, including today, would be born with a nature corrupt by this one act of disobedience and sin. And because of that sin and corruption came condemnation for all of Adam's lineage as well. Uh, we are born in that corruption. Adam's relationship with man is so altered that without something dramatically altering the situation, God would interact entirely with mankind as a judge. And God would have been good and right if at that moment he would have annihilated mankind. And so anything that man receives from that point on is a mercy. He should have interacted with every person ever born according to the holiness of his nature. But yet... He cast them out, and he cursed them, but he did not annihilate them. The effects of this condition that we are born into, born as enemies, born in rebellion, born as offspring of Adam, 
born in this situation where we are part of this family of Adam, separated from God, uh, permeates who we are. And even though we are have been reconciled to God, we have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, we have been made new creation, we have been brought into the family of God. For all those that believe, we wear the name of the king, we've been adopted, we still have tendencies and habits that we bring with us from our former life, just as any adopted child would. If they were adopted later in life, they would come to the new family with these habits and instincts and ways of thinking and responding into this new family. And while hopefully they would take on more of the characteristics of this new family, we still struggle because we were born into Adam and he was a hooligan. And we still have that nature within us. And we know we're broken. We know we're broken and we see the brokenness around us. And it's right that we would have fear. And Adam and Eve, as they were hiding in the garden, had a a sense of pending doom. They were hopeless, lost, really acting like the rest of the animals at that point, living for their own good. Adam and Eve's relationship was severed, leading to relational separation for all of mankind. Outcast shame is the fear of being rejected, outcast, excluded, separated from, other than, different, disapproved of, not meeting the mark, being left out of a relationship between one another and our relationship with God. And we all have experienced this. I mean, we could talk to the kids that are here, some of the younger kids, like you, Elena. Thank you for paying such close attention. We send them into the gym unsupervised, (laughs) which is still kind of a crazy thing. But uh, oftentimes they come back into the fellowship fellowship hall crying and upset. What are they usually crying about? Well, sometimes there's injuries, right? They were left out. They weren't picked in the game. They weren't part of the group. These boys were playing with these people, and this one didn't have anybody to play with. It's this outcast shame that they're feeling. I have been excluded from a community that I felt very uh, was very important to me to be included in. And it crushes me. I want to be included. If I'm not included, then what am I? Who am I? Where do I fit? And the kids feel this. And we're working with them, even in the, from a beginning age, to understand that they're not always going to be included. That there's part of the life that is difficult and hard and often it has to do with this being excluded, being rejected. It's difficult. We all know what it feels like not to be included in things. We, uh, some people got together and you weren't invited. Uh, you watch social media and you say, well, that would have been fun. I'm not sure why I wasn't invited to that. Uh, family gets together and grandma isn't invited for or uh, the cousins weren't invited. Or we, we all have this feeling of like being excluded, and it hurts us. There's a pain involved with this, with this being excluded in our, in our lives. <coughs> being picked last for the volleyball game. Um, peer pressure. What is peer pressure? Well, it's a community that I value that makes decisions 
and I want to be approved of and accepted by them so badly and not to be rejected that I will do things that I think are wrong or uh, that I wouldn't have normally chosen on my own to be included. Outcast shame has tremendous power in our lives. Tremendous power. We can, we have all sensed that. Uh, we tend to form cliques based on similar interests and comfort. And we tend to uh, refer to things like the inner circle or, or the in crowd. Uh, there's an acronym that I see all, used all over. F-O-M-O. FOMO. What does that mean? Fear of missing out, right? There's a fear of missing out. That's just outcast. I'm other than this, and I, how, how, my life wouldn't have any value if I missed out on these things. I must be a part of it, and it's a big deal in social media. Uh, we've heard people say, "I don't feel like I belong anywhere." We have terms in our culture called like marginalized. What does that mean? That means that you are treated as insignificant, kind of on the periphery. You are not part of the main group. <coughs> One of the greatest impacts I see is just the general fear of man. Just the general fear of man. I, I really want to be appreciated and valued and respected, and I fear that you won't view me that way. I fear that you'll reject me, you'll turn from me. I, I need your approval, and I fear uh, that you won't approve of me. And it tends to bind us up. So oftentimes, uh, this shame, is ex we experience it as it's a fruit or a behavior or an action or a way we think. Um, outcast shame is the fear of being rejected, disapproved of, and unaccepted. A lot of our anxiety, depression, and even chronic health issues at times are related to this. I am so overwhelmed that I am an outcast or not included that I become anxious. And I, I, can, I can't even enter into social circumstances without considering what everybody around me is thinking of me. Are they appreciating me? Are they valuing me? Are they approving me? And it just overwhelms me. And our systems eventually just kind of shut down uh, when that happens. Debilitating. We can have debilitating anxiety where we don't even go into public spaces and things. And often it's just this feeling of shame, feeling of being an outcast. We desire to belong to be important to somebody, to be wanted. It often drives us to conform to a group. It can lead uh, to living someone else's expectations or their dreams for my life. It can cause us to modify our bodies or our appearance or our behavior so we are accepted to the culture around us. Uh, this, is, this is interesting in that in every culture, women are modifying their bodies to be accepted and approved of and valued by the men. A long neck, little feet. Big ears, loops, what, whatever. Women are going to great lengths to be accepted and approved of. It has that kind of power. It can lead us to take risks and act foolishly to gain attention or to fit in. It can propel us to religious work out of guilt or to, so that people think the right things about us and include us. It might cause us to appear friendly. But really, really, we're just fearful of being rejected. Like, uh... My conversation with you, I'm scared to death that you're going to reject me. Uh, but I might come across as, as friendly. Uh, prestige. I, I will have a prestigious career so that I am appreciated. Because if I had a mediocre career, I would fear being rejected. Uh, our cars, our homes, we come put together. Uh, social media maintains this front for us. 
uh, I grew up in a cowboy culture where the cowboys needed their jeans pressed in the middle. There's a seam, right, in the middle of jeans, Wranglers. It's not there. You have to make it artificially, and then you have to iron them. And you have to iron it and starch it so that it actually remains while you're wearing them. And uh, we had to have our hats creased just right so we fit in with this group. I'm not a buckaroo. I'm a cowboy. And you could tell the difference by the shaping of our hats. And so there's all these things we do trying to conform and fit in. It's interesting to watch people wear their ball caps now, right? I mean, some of them have a flat bill. Some of them wear them sideways. Some of them wear them backwards. Some of them pull them way down their eyes. And, and all of this, you look and, oh, they're in a group where they all do that. And it's part of fitting in. It's part of the shoes we wear. Um, we can exaggerate our strengths and hide our weaknesses. We, be, we can become critical of others. This is part of exposing others. Sometimes if I can't measure up and I don't feel like I do, it's easier for me just to be critical and to point out other people's faults and failures, to kind of put them down because it makes me feel like I am of more value. Um, we fear losing relationships, so we cling to them. Uh, we desire to be loved. And so oftentimes in marriages, what it, well, the greatest struggle is just I have this overwhelming desire to be loved. Like I do not, I cannot accept being uh, unloved or disapproved of. And so I'm going to do all these manipulative things in a marriage to get you oriented towards me so that you will love me. Fear of failure. Our economic system is really built on out, outcast shame, uh, telling us that we should be discontent, that we're not, not part of the in group. If we fear being wanted or unaccepted, Often we have tremendous social anxiety, a fear of being rejected. We remain alone, distant. We have trouble having conversations. We, we uh, Churches are horrible places for this. The church fills up from the back to the front usually. A lot of churches, the lights are down low. People feel more comfortable. They don't feel like they're going to be seen or rejected. Or What if I do something and, and people see me do this thing and now I'm not part of the, the thing anymore? Uh, what keeps us from walking up to a group of people having a conversation and just being a part of the conversation? There's a social anxiety built into us that we're fear. What if they were to reject me? What if I was to say something and, it, and they disapproved of me at that moment? Oh, it keeps us in these kind of homogeneous groups. We're all kind of like, you know, uh, it's, it's a tremendous thing that we have such a multi-generational dynamic body here where we're, all interacting and they're all in various places of life. But it's a shame where churches break up into these homogeneous little groups or different services where we can all be there because we're all alike. And why do we are we so drawn to that? Well, because it takes away a lot of this outcast shame that I'm feeling. Some churches and some religious groups actually use the power of this to keep their body together through what's called shunning and banning. You've ever heard of we have some in our area. Shunning and banning. There's such a fear of being shunned, put out, where they would turn their back to you and they would no longer bring you in, or banning, uh, just abandoning a relationship with you. And that is such a, such a powerful tool that it keeps the church together because there's such a fear of being shunned and banned. And people would be there for all kinds of uh, wrong reasons at that point just so that they're not treated as an outcast. Political parties. Uh, do this oftentimes. We saw this a lot during COVID. Uh, there was this there was this rising discussion that happened. 
if you, okay, I have come to a right conclusion about a certain thing, and if you don't join me in this right conclusion, then I'm going to exile you. I'm going to excommunicate you. I'm going to outcast you, and I'm going to point out to everybody, I have a dear friend who had her husband die, and there's a group on social media that decided to use this to leverage their cause and point out how he didn't agree with them, and because of that he died, and they were using it to build this, this fear of being rejected within their group. Excommunication, oftentimes we use excommunication in our lives. Uh, and I actually saw this play out in my office a little while ago with a group of pastors. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to excommunicate you and I'm going to leave. Or I'm going to have you leave. <laughs> we do this. We cast you out. We do this in micro levels. Like, oh, you don't agree with me? You don't appreciate me? I'm going to excommunicate you from my life. You're now cast out. You're, you're, you're shunned. Um, parents can often parent this way. I need to be a part of this group that has excellent athletes. So son or daughter, you must perform so that I feel included over here. Do not embarrass me on the football field because I will feel rejected by them. Disapprove. I, I won't have a good standing with them anymore. So I'm going to put all kinds of pressure on you to perform. Why? So that I fit in to this particular group. Outcast shame creates all kinds of problems. Debt, health issues, stress, discontentment, resentment, a critical spirit. Um, it just becomes, it permeates our life and really interacts our individual relationships and the way that we interact and the love we can have for each other. We cannot fear being rejected by somebody and love them at the same time. If I'm in fear of rejection, I'm going to withhold, I'm going to draw back, I'm going to cover myself, I'm going to fear you, and so I cannot actually give myself in vulnerability or intentionality, I can't just give myself to you. So where we are struggling with fear of man or this outcast shame, we are going to struggle to love each other. And that's why I think this is so important that we work through and think through this in this life. What is holding us back from this love that we see given to us in Christ? What is holding us back from just giving ourselves to each other, dying to our, to our own selves and giving ourselves to one another? It's often this outcast shame. I fear you. I fear you rejecting me. And so I have trouble giving you myself to you. Jesus rescues us from not only our guilt and condemnation, our the, the wrath that we deserve. He not only forgives us and brings us into this relationship with the Father, reconciles us, but he helps us with this outcast shame. The more we understand the gospel and the glory of Christ, the more that we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the more we will be able to find rest and we will not be bound up in these things. Jesus performed perfectly and should have never been rejected or disapproved of. He was the perfect friend and the perfect neighbor, the perfect son. Yet he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and not esteemed or thought well of. By oppression and false judgment, he was taken to slaughter. 
The ones he came to save demanded Barabbas. And those same men drove nails in his hand and hung him on a cross. Jesus knows abandonment and alienation from both people and his Father. For when he was on the cross, he didn't just die a physical death. He was rejected by his Father. His Father turned from him. He was left to receive the eternal weight of our, of our punishment, of our wrath, and to consume it. It would have been a fitting thing for him to die in the back room somewhere. They could have just strangled him in the back. But we would have had such a limited view of God's love for us if that would have been the case. Because Christ went through what we fear most, we can say he is a suffering high priest. He knows me. He can strengthen me in this. He's with me in these things. He knows my fears. But also, he went through these things particularly so that we would be accepted by the Father. Never to be rejected. There is nothing we can do to receive the, turn, the gaze turning away from us. To be rejected by our Father. Why? Because Christ was rejected for us. Christ was disapproved. He measured up. But He was treated by the Father based on my performance. In my failure, in my weakness, all the things I want to cover from you. Christ was treated that way so that I could be covered in the righteousness of Christ. So that I could be forgiven. So that I could be under the gaze of the Father who sees me not in my weakness, not in my brokenness, covered in the righteousness of Christ. It is the gospel that frees us from this shame. It's the gospel that frees us to love one another, to move into each other's lives. Because I don't need you to accept me. I can just love you because I am accepted by my Father fully, forever, freely. I can just give myself to you. Oh, brothers and sisters, we are still so bound up in these things. Shame still permeates us so much. Why? I think it's because we're still groping to apprehend the love of God for us in Christ. And it's when we understand the work of Christ in our life, that is where we begin to experience freedom. To just love one another and give ourselves to one another. And may as we seek out knowing this God and His love for us in Christ, may we be freed to love well. Fully forgiven. Fully loved. And may we grow in our love for each other and the freedom we have to give ourselves to each other as we take off this old man of Adam, an Adam filled with shame and fear of being rejected, and put on Christ, knowing that we're fully approved of in Him. Father, help us. Help us to behold the glory of Christ. Help us to <coughs> cling to these things, that we would not be bound up in our appearance and and our need to be approved of and appreciated, and all the fear that that generates. Oh Lord, we know that we deserve to be outcasts. We know we're failures, that we don't measure up and perform well. Oh Lord, we're so thankful though, that as we hear the gospel and behold the glory of Christ, we can begin to experience freedom and the strength that comes with it. As we abide in your love, 
Oh, Lord, help us. Help us turn our attention and our heart to you so that we could abide there well and in that be strengthened to love you and others and uh, really return our gaze from ourselves to those around us as we are created to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.